Welcome to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast Series. Today we have Brooke Olson-Farrell, Superintendent of the Slate Valley Unified Union School District, as our guest. Slate Valley Unified is headquartered in Fairhaven, Vermont. Welcome again, everyone, to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast. I'm David Linovers, Vice President of Plexus. And today we have a special guest, Superintendent Brooke Olson-Farrell from the Slate Valley Unified Union School District in Vermont. Welcome, Brooke. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I know when we were talking um, just via email, you know, as a native of New England, um, <laughs> from Connecticut, the southern part of New England, and family in Vermont. Uh, Vermont is definitely near and dear to my heart personally. And I know you had said earlier, too, you live right across the border in New York, which is that whole area kind of comes together, Green Mountains, White Mountains, all the lakes. And it's really just a beautiful area year round, isn't it? Absolutely, especially this time of year um, in the fall with the foliage. I know people have said, oh, go leaf peeping in New England. Like, yes, you must. It truly is magical. When you live yeah. there, every year is, is different. Every leaf season. It's funny when you're like, you try to predict, you're like, well, was it a, a hot year, a cold year? Is the, are the maples really going to explode? <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. And before you know it, the leaves are gone and we're into stick season. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the graying, I used to be like the gray season. For yes, yes. And, you know, just another a note too, just because I always like to talk about personal areas. Um, Vermont maple syrup, New York. Now, obviously over the border of New York, they do maple syrup as well. Don't they up in that area? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. My family actually does. So yes. Oh, really? Family hobby of doing maple syrup. So yeah. Oh, so you get to the buckets and uh, the boiling it down and everything. Yep. Yes, absolutely. That's fun. I, de- I have to say, I do miss that about not living in New England when the buckets would come out in the spring and and then we'd go down to the local place, get local maple syrup. It's it's definitely a, a fun thing about that area that um, people should experience. Absolutely. Well, hey, um, besides maple syrup in, in the New England area, which a lot of people associate with the area in Vermont, um, especially the uh, um, presidential candidates and things like that who have run <laughs> that have brought national attention to Vermont for good, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. as a superintendent of the school and your journey to superintendent of the school. Tell us a little about that. So um, I have to say, I've always wanted to be a superintendent. I'm mm-hmm. not really sure exactly why, but ever since I was a, a child, um, it's just always been a goal of mine. Um, and maybe it's because I'm the oldest of four siblings and the oldest of nine um, grandchildren. And um, I had a grandfather who was a teacher and a school administrator and a grandmother who was on the school board. But it's just something that I always um, wanted to do. So I was fortunate in in that. Um, but I, you know, I graduated um, from Granville High School, which is right, up, right across the border where I currently live. Um, and two years later, I returned to teach there. And so I taught high school and middle school science for 12 years there. Mm. Um, had some great um, mentors along the way. Um, the, the high school principal, the elementary principal, really strong female leaders, um, and led me um, to become an administrator. 
And I decided at the time to, you know, apply across the border in, in Vermont. And it was one of the best decisions um, of my life. I love, I love the state. I love the education system, you know, not necessarily everything about it, but um, <laughs> I do, I do find the philosophy refreshing. And um, so I, I spent time here as a curriculum and staff development coordinator, and then an assistant superintendent in a neighboring school district. And then came back here to Slate Valley as the um, superintendent. And this is my sixth year. Six years. And you were sharing beforehand, you've been through, <clears throat> excuse me, quite a bit in the last six years, school mergers, shootings, COVID. I mean, you've had the whole suitcase full of things thrown at you in the midst of that. How are the kids doing these days? And, you know, tell us about that, that journey over the last few years too. Yeah, so it's it's been it's definitely been a journey, right? Um, <laughs> yes. I I would say um, my first year we had an inverted school shooting, um, which was the same day as the Parkland, Florida shooting, and mm. that um, all made national news and was very traumatic um, for our students and our community. And also through all of the court proceedings, all of that, that's something that went on for many years in this district and basically came to a resolution just um, last year. So, so that's been, been quite a journey, quite um, a stressor on the community and, you know, has led us to change many things that we do here in, in oh, yeah. the district as a result. Um, but we were, we were very fortunate. We had people that recognized something was wrong and went, you know, and said, said the right things to the right people. And so um, it was able to be stopped before, before it, it happened. But as a result, we lost students, we lost staff um, as a result of that, just due to the stress. And then um, also through that, we, Vermont's been going through Act 46, mm. um, which is school merger. So, oh, Act so 46. Our, okay. Yes, it's Act 46. Um, so, it's the merger of school districts. Um, we used to be supervisory unions. So, within our super, Slate Valley, we used to be called Addison Rutland Supervisory Union, and we had um, I had eight different school boards when I first started um, six years ago, 48 different school board members. Okay. So the majority of my time was spent, you know, managing school boards and working with school boards and school board members. And so through Act 46, which was voluntary at the time, um, those individual districts needed to come together and form a single school district like we oh, are today. Like okay. Okay. And that was that was supposed to be done voluntarily. And many of our individual districts did come together voluntarily. So um, my second year in, we became the Slate Valley Modified Unified Union School District, part okay. of us. And then we had the Orwell School District, and that was still under the umbrella of Addison Rutland Supervisory Union. Okay. Um, okay. The following year, the state board um, merged the Orwell School District with the 
with the Slate Valley Modified Unified Union School District. And we since have become a single school district, but that was a forced merger. So um, the Orwell community did not um, support that that merger. So that was forced by, by the state. So, you know, we've had to culturally work through um, th those those feelings as, as a result of that. So, and, and really try to become a single cohesive school district in the last, in the last several years. And I think we've done a relatively, relatively good job of that. Um, and I'm really proud of our work. Yeah. So oh yeah. So today we have a single school board, an 18 member school board okay. um, that operates well, they were operating six schools last year. We closed one school at the end of the year. So this year we have um, five, five schools. Um, we had, we had built or renovated part of our high school to add um, seventh and eighth grade to it starting this year. So, um, so that's, that's new for us. Um, and then certainly, you know, COVID all school districts have had to deal with, yeah. with COVID. Um yeah. You know, definitely, you know, a challenging period of time. I, I think for me and my role, it honestly wasn't as challenging as the school safety stuff that I, that you know, I, I had been through um, previously and was still going through. So I would think I would think so. I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just have to add that like life and death versus administrative unions coming together, two completely different things on every level. Right, Oof. right, right. So, um, but with COVID, you know, we were with other school districts. So you right. had other superintendents to, you know, talk to. You weren't, you weren't necessarily alone in that, in that journey. So that was, that was um, pretty, pretty powerful. And I think it allowed many um, superintendents to be able to lead their district um, through that difficult period of time. But since then, um, getting back to quote unquote normal, we've definitely seen an increase in student behaviors and parent behaviors and really severe staff shortages that we're, we're experiencing um, in our districts across the state, across the country. And true. so it, there's really a drain on resources um, right now. I know there was a few news articles I, I saw with quotes for you about uh, you and other superintendents talking about the staffing shortages and looking for teachers and just I mean, when you said a few years ago, it'd be like a hundred applications and now you're lucky to get one. I, that's radical change that way. And some of yeah. the creative things that you're doing to plan for this, I'm sure you discuss it with your board as well. Don't you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we've, we've consolidated. So through the last six years, we have actually um, reduced 30 positions in the district. So we even have less positions to fill. Um, but still are unable to fill many of those positions. I mean, we've offered signing bonuses, you know, th those types of things, but still we're not um, getting the applications. And part of that's due to, even if we do hire somebody, especially from out of state, they're unable to find housing or affordable housing um, right. in our area. So, so there's other factors that definitely go into that. 
for those um, teachers that we are able to hire, about 20% of them are on temporary or provisional licenses. Gotcha. Yeah. uh, Which has been a dramatic increase in the number of um, provisional licenses in, in our district. And so that means you know, they have met some of the criteria for licensure, but have, have they haven't met at all. So we're spending a lot of extra time, um, you know, helping them get the right professional development, helping them, you know, making sure that they pass the um, exams for licensing, which has been a challenge um, as well. And so, oh, yeah. so through all of that, we're seeing actually a fair amount of attrition. And so in the last five years, 59% of our um, staff has turned over. And again, that's not isolated necessarily to our district. Um, That's something we're seeing, you know, across districts. So it's definitely a challenge. A less experienced workforce is is what what we have. Uh, I mean, you're talking about this. I guess I'm looking back at time reminds me of when just out here in California, I don't know if it was in Vermont, but we had many teachers on emergency credentials and these temporary credentials just to fill the positions and that ebb and flow of what's needed to keep qualified teachers there is tough. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, and I don't think it, you know, some of it has to do with, you know, wages, certainly, Um, you know, when we're, and it's not just teaching staff. When we talk about support staff, when we're paying, you know, a custodian or an instructional assistant, you know, $15 an hour, and they can go down the road to McDonald's and make $17, $18 an hour, you know, that that's, that's part of our struggle, right? Right, so, right. So, and there's, yeah, there's only so much school districts can afford and only so much um, voters are going to going to approve budgets for. So, um, so that's something, you know, that's definitely been a struggle because we are a district in the state that traditionally um, does not approve their school budgets the first time around. So Mm. um, I saw that as well, that one of your budgets was down and then you got it back in and the article said it was a little lower than it had planned, but that little bit of money makes all the difference, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, but Mm. this is also a district that since our merger, um, our budget technically has been down every year. Our tax rate has decreased Mm. every year. So, but that we're at a point, especially this year, going into next year's budget where that's not going to, that's going to be no longer true. Like with inflation, the costs of everything going up dramatically, um, we, we just have nothing else to cut here in our district. So, and with the increase in student needs, we need to add additional student support. So that's true with students coming back. I mean, I know we could spend so much time on the budget and those things too. And it's, what's interesting is, as I was looking at the supervisory unions and wondering what exactly is this? And now I know I mean, it must be in many ways a little easier for you with a single unified school district of one board. That's Mm got to be helpful in the midst of your focus on the kids and the teachers and trying to solve these challenges in front of you. Well, absolutely. I mean, previously, when you're a supervisory union, you do have a supervisory union. 
school board that um, is made up of members of each of your local local boards. But um, for many of these issues, especially like with COVID, there would have been a lot of decisions that you had to convince individual school boards, mm. you know, to, to go along with, right? So Makes that would sense. have been very complicated if we had still had eight school boards. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> to say so, the least, yes. <laughs> having one school board, um, you know, I am very thankful for having that um go go as we, you know, traverse COVID. Um, it, it was definitely a blessing. Now I've had other superintendents say they're even having a tough time finding bus drivers and all of these things. They're just like we, we want to, we have need, we want to fill it and we want to make sure the kids are being served and the teachers are supported. Like that staffing on every level, that kind of support. Are you seeing similar things too? Yes. Um, in fact, I just met with our transportation um, manager this morning um, mm. because we are canceling bus runs. We don't have replacement drivers. So if somebody is out ill and our drivers have been wonderful about, you know, making sure they're here every day, but you know, people do get sick. People do have lives outside of work and um, things happen. So we have had to cancel routes, which has been, you know, which causes some kids not necessarily to have a ride um, to school. So we're sending out a second run, you know, an hour later to get those kids um, to school, but, you know, they are missing the first hour of school every, every day. So, you know, those are challenges, again, widespread across the area. So not not unique to Slate Valley, but, and it, right now we're starting bus drivers at $22 an hour. So, um, and we still can't fill the, those positions. So, so teachers, um, the administrative areas that you need support in that help everything run. Um, and that falls on the load of the current team members, correct? Everything has to correct. be picked up at least somewhat, at least prioritizing constantly, I'm sure. So with your teachers and helping them stay motivated in, the, in this kind of environment where you, everyone is aware there's openings, right? And that there's, there's needs, how, how are you working with the teachers just to keep them excited about the kids? And obviously the kids make it all worth it. I know that, but how, how do you work with them to listen, understand and motivate them? Yeah. So, so without a doubt, it's a challenge. Um, I, I try to be as transparent as possible. Mm. Um, I am always willing, you know, to have a conversation, you know, what can we do differently? Um, make sure that um, our staff knows that they're doing a wonderful job, um, those types of things. And certainly, you know, we're all willing, even in in central office, to pitch in, sub for a class, go and do lunch duty in the middle school if necessary. And and we are doing that. So um, just being there and making sure that teachers know that they are supported, but without a doubt, it is it has been, it has been challenging. And, and I think, I think one of the reasons you see staff, a large exodus from the education profession is, is some of it has to do with the polarization um, of the communities in which they serve and how um, educators were treated during the pandemic. And, and so there's a lot of fallout 
from that. And now we don't have the resources to adequately support our schools in terms of staffing and even, I would say, in funding. Um, and so it, it creates burnout. Um, and so we do, enc- we encourage our staff to take care of themselves. However, we don't have substitutes. So whether or not, you know, of course, if someone's struggling, we want them to take the day off, to do what they need to do to re-energize, reinvigorate themselves. But, you know, being educators, I think there comes a certain amount of guilt with not being, you know, at work, especially when we're short staffed, knowing that a colleague needs to then pick up the slack. And so that creates additional stressors on the on the environment. And so it is something as we get into the winter months that I'm extremely um, concerned about. Um, Right now, we're averaging about 20 staff members absent a day and district wide. And we have a, you know, close to 400 full and part-time staff. Good size. Um, And it's, you know, the 20 is manageable, but that's also with our admin assistants going into classrooms and subbing and other teachers giving up their planning time to sub. Um, so, but but at the height of, you know, last year during COVID, the pandemic, as we began to emerge from that in the spring, we were 60 to 70 staff members absent a day. There, there's no way we're going to be able to cover that. So as it stands right now, so... Um, so that is something that's weighing heavily on the minds of superintendents and oh, I would yeah. say statewide. I mean, I had a conversation yesterday with my colleagues about that and what are some other creative ways we, you know, we can still open school without um, personnel. I mean, you just, as you talk about that, you, it, it makes you t- me take like a breath, like, whew, that's a lot. I mean, not having people to do the work of people because that's what we do in education. We're all about the kids and helping them get to next level. Um, you have assessment standards you have to meet, right? You have reporting. And with all of those things in mind, and it's it's not isolated, while it's comforting that it's not isolated, it's not comforting that it's not isolated either, right? You're like, how do we how do we fix this? And can we? Sounds like right. you have good conversations with the superintendents. And I know you have a role in, with the superintendents as a trustee of the Vermont Superintendents Association. So that must be a lively discussion as well. Yes, a- absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so we talk about all these different policies and practices statewide and how we can support one another in the field. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that's one of the things that I love about being in Vermont and being a superintendent in Vermont. It's a small enough group. You know, there's only, I think, 51 of us um, in the state that um, we all pretty much know each other and can reach out and ask each other questions. It's a very um, collegial group where um, I'm not sure you get the same kind of um, thing in a larger state. And so so we're, we're very fortunate. To have that, and uh, uh, you know, sharing best practices, sharing what you're doing, and like you said, being creative. Because you're right, as a superintendent, you know, when you talk about the challenges, your job is to be a solution provider, right? To come up with an idea of how can we do the best with what we have, 
And right. I would imagine working with the board through those kinds of plans, they, they, I'm sure they're supportive and asking the questions that they need to. How's that going with them in, in the midst of these challenges? Actually, you know, that's another thing I feel extremely fortunate about mm. is I mean, we have a very, very supportive school board here. Oh, that's um, awesome. In Slate Valley. And um, they're very supportive of their edu- of the educators, of the staff, of um, the administrators and of the students and really do try to make sure we have the resources that we need to do our jobs effectively. And they really, um, they ask the right questions, but they don't try to micromanage. And mm, mm. that is something, um, you know, that, that, uh, that I'm grateful for because other districts aren't as fortunate. Um, but I also think um, they have a lot of trust in um, in what we're doing in our schools. And so that's good. That's yeah, that's good. What are what are some of the initiatives that you're I know you're looking to fill staffing positions and those things. Obviously, that's a huge initiative. Um, any any other initiatives academically that you're working on with curriculum or facilities? I mean, those other key things that make the kids just thrive in the classroom? What do you guys have going on that way? So um, I, I said at the beginning that um, we essentially opened a new middle school um, this year for seventh and eighth grade here at the high school campus. That's right. Yeah. Um, and through that, we used a lot of um, COVID monies to support the renovation of the building for that new new middle school. And so that's, that's been a really positive experience. We essentially merged four small middle, middle schools into, into a larger one. Okay. Um, Nice. And yeah, yeah. So that's, that's been an interesting journey. So there's been a lot of focus on that middle school and making sure that it's, um, that it's a success, right? It's a, a huge change for our community. And, um, the idea is part of the idea, part of the reason why we did that is in Vermont in ninth grade, you have school choice. Okay. So what okay. we were seeing, what we were seeing by having four different middle schools, that there was no um, large investment to come to our, our high school, Fairhaven Union High School. So we would have kids choose other larger surrounding um, high schools, maybe to spend their high school career in. And so we were losing students and we really mm. want students here. Um, of course. Yeah. So um, we kind of jokingly call it um, our grow a Slater initiative. Um, Slaters are our mascots. I like in that the Slaters. Slate, Slate region. So we're, we're growing Slaters here. And um, so we brought all of our seventh and eighth graders together. We wanted to make sure that they had, they all had similar opportunities because being in different middle schools, some one of our schools, very small, very, very small, like um, Benson Village School has 60 students in it. Okay. So, so, you know, imagine being with the same five peers for nine years. I mean, that that's what was happening. So, yeah. um, so we brought those kids together. So we're really focused on, on giving them more opportunities. In fact, I had lunch with a group of middle schoolers yesterday and, you know, just checking in to see what, um, 
how they liked it, what was going on. And without a doubt, every single one of them said they loved the the new middle school because they loved being with other kids, being with oh, more kids, awesome. having more peers. Um, and they and they said, and having a, you know, a wide variety of teachers because yeah. when you were in those small schools, you might have the same teacher year after year. And That's that true. might be great for what for some kids, but for other kids that might not be a great fit. And so just having more, more variety. That's that's, exciting. Yeah. That's that's really exciting. When your, your hope is and the plan that this one to do, and then to see the kids thriving in it, that's got to feel good. That's got to feel really good. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so that's, that's been great. Certainly there's been little hiccups along the way, but we we are working hard (laughs) to figure those out. Right. And so so that's been good. Um, some other things that we're doing at, at the high school, really looking to develop more opportunities. So as we go into um, the budget season for next year, what are some more opportunities we can offer our oh, students? Yeah. And this is really you know, tricky when you don't have a lot of staff, right? And you don't have a lot of resources. So this year, we're really focused on community engagement. So after COVID, we want that the community to come back in. They we want to see, we want to showcase the great things that we're doing. We want our kids out in the community, um, and so we're working with local businesses. Like we have a group of students that go to Hubbardton Forge, which is a local manufacturer um, of light fixtures, and to see what's going on there. Um, we ha- we do a lot with work based learning, getting kids out. In oh, nice. The, um, into the fields, working um, with some of our community partners. You know, we have a great success story of um, a student last year who participated in work-based learning, you know, with an electrician is now training to be an electrician. So, so those, those types of things. Um, So working hard on that, we also, um, we want all of our kids to graduate with a plan, right? Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. Nothing, that plan doesn't necessarily need to be college, but they need to have a plan. They need to have the opportunity to go to college if that's what they want for their plan. But that doesn't have to be their plan. Um, right. We want them to pre- be prepared to, you know, go out and be successful in life. And so that could be college. It could be going into the workforce. It could be starting a career. It could be technical education could be the military. Um, And so we're working really hard with kids to develop those um, transferable skills that can be used across um, all of those um, different, different choices. So what does it mean to persevere? What does it mean to be able to effectively communicate? So I like it. That's what we're really, we're really working on. I mean, I, I, I wanted to make sure I gave you an opportunity to talk about the stuff you're doing with the kids because obviously the all the administrative and staffing is absolutely key to making it successful. But it's it's cool to hear the work stuff that you're doing. Um, and you're in that one graduate who's successful helps spur more on to do more, doesn't it? Right, right. A- absolutely, absolutely. And we have a, we have a ton of success stories and, and success doesn't mean you go, go to college. I mean, success means, you know, you're a productive, you know, citizen that's contributing to your community. Um, 
you know, you, you have, you know, yeah. So success doesn't necessarily mean, mean college. And so, so that's kind of a misnomer. We try, try to dispel here. Certainly we want people to have the opportunity to do that, but that's not the end all be all for everyone. That's true. It's really about having the options. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, at Plexus, we're dedicated to helping students find out as much information about going to college as possible, but we know not everybody goes and everybody's the same track. And that's important because that means they're understanding what they want and need. And at that high school level, that's so key and critical. I mean, you know better than anyone. You've been in education a long time. You know those things. And as I've spoken with other superintendents that what you're saying is resonates with them that I've heard is we want to make sure our kids understand what they need to know. Our good citizens can go out and find jobs and, and represent themselves well and be educated to help out period. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Anything else you want to share before we wrap things up? I mean, time went by so fast as always. I think I say that every <laughs> podcast, but it's true. It just goes by too quickly. I don't, I don't think so. I could talk a long time, but I think I'm, I think I'm good. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you sharing what you did. And um, I think, you know, Vermont got a lot of news about what happened during COVID. It, it gets a lot of news in many, many ways. It's a very entrepreneurial state, as I know. Many, yeah. many things happening. Um, it sets a tone and a lot of social policy too, and social yep. infrastructure. And it, it's always in the news lightning <laughs> rod that way. School districts are that place where so much of that is born out of too. Right. Right. So I, I definitely have a, again, having a love for it and a heart for it makes me pay attention to it as well, maybe more than others, but uh, I, it is a pleasure to meet you. And I'm really glad you could join our podcast. You're our first Vermont superintendent to join our podcast. So I'm like, yes, I love it. <laughs> I, love it. I have a few others who are going to join us. I, I don't have my list up, but I'm excited to, to get to oh, know great. some of the other superintendents great. too. Um, but it's been a real pleasure, Brooke. I appreciate your yeah, time. Likewise. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining the Plexus High School Leadership Podcast Series. If you'd like more information on this podcast or Plexus, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.